0: thousand years ago some some people figured this out and they created this idea of of a second document in addition to a will or estate plan which is a written document that bequeaths what your loved ones will really crave and really want and really need when you're gone which is your life story your life lessons your values, your hopes, your guidance, your dreams for them. That's what we want to hold on to, not, not the paperweights.
1: Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives, in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode.
2: So excited to have you on, Rabbi Steve Leader back on the podcast. and this time, as I was saying, I was going to pronounce the last name correctly. Uh, first time I had you on was over a year ago, when you launched the other book, "The yep. Beauty of What Remains." And now we're here about to talk about your other books. so so yay. excited. Yay. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Happy to have you welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm really, really happy to be talking with you again. And, and, you know, I appreciate the opportunity.
2: A lot. Uh, well, I was so, so grateful that I was contacted again to be able to help then promote this next book and have this conversation with you. So the next book is titled what, for you when I'm gone for yes. you when I'm gone. So, um, let's, Tell the listeners a little bit about you first, and then we'll talk about the development of this new, this new book. Everybody got busy these last two years with the pandemic writing two books and th- two books during the pandemic, Rabbi. Yeah. That's a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. When I look back on it, I think, "Who did that?" You know, <laughs> it, it feels like some other person had that kind of energy because now I, I think like most of us. As we're emerging from it, feel so exhausted and wrung out, you know. Uh, but somehow, I don't know, I did it. You and did it. it's like, I think you know, obviously raising children is a much bigger commitment, but it's kind of like now when I'm at the airport and I see a young family with, you know, two little kids and the strollers and the bottles and the bags and the and I I just look and I and I say to myself. I know we did that, but I don't but I know don't how. Remember.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I totally, and you have two yourself, right? You have two yeah, as well? Yeah, yes. We Tell two. us, what are the ages of your kids?
0: So the, My kids are now almost 33 and almost 30.
2: Okay. So yeah, you're way long yeah. past that. Yeah. Yet it seems like yesterday too, like we don't remember how we did something, yet we did it. And yet we think back to those times when they were little and it does seem sometimes like yesterday, but then it also seems really far away too. <laughs> well, that's
0: that's true of so many things, you know, yes. if, uh, my, my mother always says the days are long and the years are short. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's a lot of truth Amazing. to that. There is a relativity to time. Einstein mm-hmm. was right about that. Uh, but in any case, what can I tell you? Um, I, uh, many of your listeners may know that, I wrote this book uh, that came out in January of uh, 2021, and uh, it launched the day before the insurrection at the Capitol. So it had kind of a difficult (coughs) media environment to begin with, but it, it has really sort of exceeded everyone's expectations. And that book was called The Beauty of What Remains. And that book was essentially about Everything I thought I knew about loss and grief Mm -hmm. and letting go from all of my vicarious experience as a rabbi who had literally officiated at more than a thousand funerals at the point I wrote the book versus the deeper truths I discovered when I wasn't the rabbi but the son, a, a grieving son whose father died twice. Uh, because he had Alzheimer's, and people with that disease die twice. They die once when their brain is no longer the brain of the person who they were, and then their body dies years later, and they're both really painful and difficult. Um, and so that that book was really about the dualities, the tensions between what I thought I knew as a professor and, perfect, would, yeah. and what, yes. what the real truth of it was as someone who was in it himself. Um, And when that book came out, to my surprise, almost every single podcast host, morning talk show host, journalist, radio, everyone wanted to talk about something that I thought was a relatively small percentage of what people would get from the book, which is- Which was that? well, this idea of what I call an ethical will. right? Yes, yeah,
2: because hope- you mentioned it in this letter, and it's really common in the Jewish faith, yet it's not as, and I've noticed that from my interviews with other people of Jewish background, but it's not as common in other, exactly. in other things. Exactly. Yeah,
0: so Jews have been authoring what we call ethical wills mm-hmm. since the 11th century in Italy and France. And the oldest one still existing that we can actually put our hands on is over a thousand years old. And what this is, is a a parallel document to your estate plan. Okay, so listen, at a certain age, we all have estate plans. We all sit down with lawyers and we figure out what's going to happen to our stuff, our money and our material, you know, our property, the paperweight collection, the fountain pen collection, the whatever, you know, the purses, the shoes, the jewelry, you know, whatever, whatever.
2: That's stuff we don't take. That's right, the stuff we right. don't take. Right, <laughs> right. You know, unless, the, unless we were like an older tradition, like, you know, I'm from South America, right? And like indigenous were buried with all their belongings, you know, that would have saved a lot of headaches probably. just. Thank yeah because know. yeah,
0: because the truth is, as I say in, in The Beauty of What Remains, there's a whole chapter called Nobody Wants Your Crap. Yes. Right? And they don't, right? We spend so much of our lives working to make money, to buy things, to leave to people, and they don't want it. Nobody wants your crap. Okay? Oh
2: my gosh, that's, that's so it, true. Right?
0: So <clears throat> a thousand years ago. Some, some people figured this out and they created this idea of, of a second document in addition to a will or estate plan, which is a written document that bequeaths what your loved ones will really crave
1: mm-hmm.
0: and really want and really need when you're gone, which is your life story, your life lessons, your values, your hopes, your guidance your dreams for them. That's what we want to hold on to. Not not the paperweights. Yeah. And these documents are so powerful. <clears throat> so what I did was I wrote this book, again called For You When I'm Gone, but it's actually not only for the recipients, right? I created 12 questions, and we'll talk about the 12 questions in a second. So the subtitle is 12 Essential Questions to Tell a Life Story. You know, an obituary tells you the facts of a person's life.
2: Mm -hmm. How many kids? What did they do? What did they study? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: A eulogy tells you the truths of a person's
1: life, Mm -hmm.
0: and they're not the same thing. The fact that I was born on June 3rd in 1960 in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and I went to college here and I went to graduate school there, it really doesn't tell you anything about the truth of my life. So these 12 questions, which I ask and answer in the book, and then invited other people to, to answer, and then invite the reader to answer, are the questions that will really reveal your life story, your truths hmm. And the editor asked me, how did you come up with these 12 questions in this order? It really unfolds in such a powerful way. And my answer to her was 35 years and 15 minutes. Because <laughs> okay. these are the questions that I have been asking families for 35 mm-hmm. years at what clergy call an intake meeting. The time you sit down with a family to talk about their loved one who has died, to try to understand the truths of this person's life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these these conversations, and I honestly have done over a thousand of them, are always incredible. Everyone's life is amazing. Mm-hmm. If you ask the right, the
2: question. right question.
0: Okay, Sorry. so now, Why do I say that this book is not just for your loved ones when you're gone? It's also for you, the author, because it's an opportunity. And I think the whole country right now, if not the world, is going through this, what I call the great reevaluation. We've come out of COVID. We have come out of this experience that held our collective vulnerability up to the light. that forced us all to reckon with this truth we speak about, but rarely absorb, which is you really never know. Mm -hmm. And ask ourselves, am I living my truth? So when you answer these questions in this book, you're not only bequeathing the truth of your life to your loved ones when you're gone. You're also taking the opportunity to ask yourself, "Well, I say that these are the things that are important. I say that this is what matters. Am I actually living that way, or is or is my life just kabuki?"
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and kabuki. Oh,
2: that's a good. Inter- that's a good. Uh, yeah, kabuki theater, right? The yeah. the whole mask. A mask. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. all the masks, It's a mask. Right? Mm-hmm. And look, all of us are acting all the time to some degree. Shakespeare was right. All the world is a stage. That's true. But when the dissonance, when the distance between your professed values and your lived values is wide, is really out of alignment, that's a very painful way to live because because you're a phony. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity if you go through this book to really hold your life up to the light and say, is this really who I am? Is this really who I want to be? Is this really the legacy I want to leave? And that's a very important and powerful exercise for all of us. So the book is both for the author, you know, the ethical will is both for the author yes. and the reader. The yeah. When you write your ethical will, which I hope you will, Cameron,
2: I know I'm nervous now. I, I mean, when I was reading favorite. these, yeah, that's when the I name. was reading these, it's uh, yeah, it was it was. I was getting nervous even reading it because I'm like, wow. Because then thinking, I'm like, what have I done? Like, it really does make you question. You know, they say, you know, we we are going to be called to answer our lives as we pass. Right for those of us that yeah. believe in an afterlife, believe in God, we are called. This is one of those times in which we are like you said looking at it while we're living and have that chance to redirect like you said reevaluate and see am i living in alignment and that is one of the, my biggest things the alignment with who we are or are we putting on a show and right. and we are really we're really the only ones ourselves and God would be the only ones that truly know that's right
0: that's exactly right And, you know, someone asked me one of those sort of typical interviewer questions. "Like, If you had to summarize this book in two words, what would it be? And it came to me like that. And the answer is, don't wait. Mm. Don't wait. Don't wait to live your truth. Don't wait to articulate that for the people you love. Don't wait. You know, I didn't know that my last conversation with my father was my last conversation with my father. One visit he could speak and the next visit he couldn't and never did again. Mm -hmm. So you really never know. And this issue of holding your own values up to the light and alignment, There too, I would say, hopefully COVID has taught us all not to wait. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, from our conversation about the previous book, death is ultimately the greatest teacher about life. Death isn't really about death, etc. Dead or dead.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
0: Right. Right. Death, death is really about our life. Life. Mm -hmm. And this is a book about your life your truth, and your legacy. Mm-hmm. And don't wait to share it.
2: It's so, and it's so much more important than, like you said, the writing of the stuff. Like, who's going to... This is, this, is, this is important, like you said, because as we're writing this, we get to reroute our lives. We get to reevaluate, okay, how do I want to continue living? This is what I've lived up to now. How do I want to continue living my life? so that on my deathbed, I'm not thinking, I wish I could have, would have, should have, would have, all the yeah. would have, could have,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. One um, of the questions mm-hmm. in the book for each that I respond to and that others do is, uh, what is your greatest
2: regret? That's the first question, yes. Yeah. What, what is the regret? regret? Now, what did you notice? I, yeah, what did oh, you notice on the regret?
0: What's really interesting is, you know, Let's just say, first of all, that I so I write an essay about each of these questions, and then I invited about 40 other people to contribute. And people, of I mean, across the entire spectrum, um, people of all genders, all preferences, all ethnicities, all not all, but most religions, um, age, ages, I had teenagers and people in their nineties, famous people, completely unknown, you know, people, people who are famous for something great, people who are famous for something terrible, everyone. So some of the, you know, there's a lot of variety in the responses. However, there are also some very important common denominators. And for the regret question, the most interesting and surprising common denominator that I discovered, was that most people's most terrible regret is not something they did. Because we tend to find a way over time to forgive ourselves and be forgiven and forgive others for for mistakes that we regret. What most people's most difficult regrets are, are the things they didn't do. Not they're the omissions, mm. not the omissions. Mm-hmm. You know there are sins of commission of the things we do, and then there are sins of omission, the things mm-hmm. we could have done and should have done but chose not to, mm. and chose not to. Not that we couldn't, we
2: didn't. And do you think that that one of the reasons we don't is because we have this? Um, this kind of idea as if we will have time you know you're saying here don't wait but do you think it's that
0: <laughs> 100% mm-hmm. and I'll 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 share with you at least for me a very beautiful way that that realization has changed my life and I don't know if this is true for you or not but during the pandemic and c- continuing even now I found myself and find myself saying, I love you so much more frequently and to so many more people. And I always felt it, but I didn't always say it. Now and then, you know, I, I, I was, I'm saying, and then every Zoom, every mm-hmm. cup of coffee, every meeting, I'd say, you know, you know I love you. I really love you. I love you, too. I love you. I love you. And it's not that I was a withholding person before, but I think deep down I had the sense that, well, I don't have to say it. They know it. And I'm going to see you uh-huh. next week. And, what I, you know, I don't want to be vulnerable. And they're going, to, they're going to be here forever. And I'm going to be here forever. There's something about the omnipresence of loss mm-hmm. that really does make you count your blessings, including the people in your life. And, and I, I'm saying, I love you. I'm signing my letters. You know, I run a very large congregation. It's
2: Wilshire Mm
0: -hmm. Wilshire Boulevard temple in Los Angeles. And it's 10,000 people literally. And I say, I love you to thousands of them. And I mean it. I mean, I've known this community for 35 years, but I sign my letters now. Love Steve. Mm -hmm. I I didn't used to do that. And Mm -hmm. I really mean it. So it is, again, this idea that finitude, you know, Kafka said, the meaning of life is that it ends. It's so simple and so true, right? Um, so, yeah, most people end up regretting the things they didn't do, either be, and the, when, why don't we? We don't because we think we have more time, or mm-hmm. we think we will have another opportunity. And you know what? We might, but I would say again, don't wait, do it anyway. do wait. Right? And- Yes, Go to
2: Paris twice. Come on. And, and for you also, the fact, like you said, that you did have a, a parent. You had your father who had Alzheimer's who, even though he still had life, he didn't have life. So how do he we lost
0: know? His, he lost his agency.
2: Right. To be able to do these kind of things and say and, and have these conversations and actually talking about your dad. And we will go into some of these other questions. Did your dad get a chance to write an ethical letter or not because of his illness? No. Okay.
0: No, he never did.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it and most people, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about people thinking they have more time and we generally do. But most people don't take the time to do it because they feel like oh, I'll do it later. Mm-hmm. I'll do it later. And, you know, this is true also on the other side of planning. When we're talking about, for example, medical directives like my so many times we're watching a story on the news or something, and my wife, Betsy, she'll look at me on the couch and she'll say, if that ever happens to me, just shoot me. (laughs) We've all said
2: so you already know the
0: medical directive. (laughs) Here's the problem. If that ever happens to me, just shoot me is not a plan. You can't, you'll go to jail, you'll go to jail. (laughs) So, you know, we all think we have, we don't need to think about these things, but we do. But again, this process is not even really about primarily for when we're gone, it's for the beauty of what we have left. Mm. And how are we going to um, make the most of that?
2: Yeah, look at that tying in both books here and into this. Yeah, the beautiful remains. And that is so important. It is so true. There's so much beauty in the now and that we do not. and, And there's the beauty of the not knowing too, even though it can be uncertain. It's like, what if we did know? What if we did know that tomorrow was the last day? How would we live our life differently today? Would we? Would we actually live our yeah. life differently or yeah. not?
0: Most, uh, people, most people wouldn't believe it was tomorrow and they wouldn't change.
2: True. I. It's true. We, we kind of walk around in denial. Because even though like death is the most certain thing there is, even though we don't know the when, we still walk around in denial as if it's not going to happen and sometimes.
0: From, by the way, to some degree, I mean, you're significantly younger than I am. Not
2: much. I bet I'm not much. I'm 66. Yeah, 46. Yeah,
0: we're no. It's it's significant. Um, I think that there is an appropriate time in life to live mostly in the denial of death. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to to have the ambition required to live your life and achieve your dreams and raise your kids and do all of that because that requires. Tremendous ambition
2: and risks, and sometimes too that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And
0: by the way, energy.
2: Yes, true.
0: (laughs) Right? Physical Mm -hmm. energy. There's a reason young people have babies (laughs) and old (laughs) people don't. Okay. Um, So there is a time in life to kind of push the reality of death down into the basement. But there's also a time to recognize when. When that reality starts pounding on the basement ceiling with a broomstick, and and saying in your psyche and your soul and your body, pay attention to me. Reckon with me. Face me. Mm. Let me out. So that you can hear me and learn from me. So I I and and i think this is true of many things that we push down into the basement i did it with anxiety for for most of my life i had an underlying anxiety disorder and i just kept it locked in the basement with a brutal work ethic i just worked all the time
2: wow and how did you handle anxiety being a public speaker in a congregation wow
0: i i just i kept it locked in the in the basement wow uh, by just being busy all
1: the time, mm. uh,
0: and and you know you can only stay on that high wire for so long, and at some point these things
2: come up. Mm-hmm. Some
0: things open that door,
2: as they say, they hit you by with a two by four at one point yeah. if it so you don't listen. <laughs> right.
0: And 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 then the, the in terms of this book, you know, for you when I am gone, you don't want it to hit you when you can't do anything about it. That, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I never said this to my kids. I never said that to my wife. I never said this to my husband. I never said this to my brother and my sister. I never said this to my business partner or my life partner, you know, my grandchildren, whatever. And, you know, oh, my God, that, that, I, that recipe is going to die with me. That would be terrible. You know, whatever it is. I have one friend who put her brisket recipe in her ethical will. It's beautiful.
2: It's beautiful. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah, that's true. It's like, here it is. Here's the top secret recipe everybody exactly. wanted to know.
0: Exactly, because it says so
2: much. Mm, right? That is so nice. That is awesome. Now, okay, let's go over some of these. And I'm curious too, as to which one was the hardest one for yourself to answer and also for the people. So the first one then is, what do you regret? Right. Second one, if I can read my writing, was, um, what was a time you led with your heart? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, tell tell me about that one. Did you find that? And and you're saying these order this order of the questions was really deliberate. specific, deliberate. So you regret something, then you go back into something else. Like, okay, when did Why? you leave? Really you
0: your regrets are generally because you overthought something. You were too in your head. mm-hmm So then you look at the other side of that is when did you get out of your head and just lead with your heart? Mm -hmm. And you will almost always discover that these were the transformative moments in a person's life. I, for example, I fell in love with my wife the minute she walked in the room. The barometric pressure changed in in the world
2: okay the no. weather
0: all over the world changed
2: she walked the <laughs> that's so lucky i love that it's that's really so... true
0: and we got engaged on our second date <laughs> which was completely heart-driven yeah. I, you know it was the craziest thing we were 24 years old called my parents they freaked out if my 20 if when my kids were 24 they called me dad, I'm getting married. To who? To this woman I met last week. Yesterday, I, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yesterday. I, yeah. I love how you said that your, what was it? Was it your dad or your mom that said, no, no, you're not getting, you're just becoming, uh, what is yeah, it? You just decided to get engaged. Yeah, married. you're thinking, yeah, yeah. That they didn't believe yeah. you were and, actually. And what did
0: I say? One of the only two times in my life, I backed my father down because he was a pretty frightening guy. I was so in the heart and not in my head. That when he said, "Stephen, you're not getting married. You're thinking about getting engaged. I said, dad, don't fuck this up. I'm getting married. And my mother, there was this long pause. And my mother said, we're looking forward to meeting her. (laughs) Like, score one for mom. Yes,
2: balancing it out there.
0: So you will find when you... When you ask people when when did you just lead with your heart?" it generally results in the most transformative, powerful, beautiful moments of their life
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that that wasn't so much a surprise as it was an affirmation and <clears throat> you know this is also true if you think about what you received in return for for example, the kindest thing you ever did in your life for another person. What what did that do for you? And that's not why you engaged in the act of kindness. But I don't know why this is coming to my mind, but it might be instructive. Um, the most intimate thing I ever did for my wife was to empty her drains after her mastectomy.
1: Mm.
0: I never felt closer and and more in love. Mm. And it was difficult and ugly and it was all heart.
2: Mm. I didn't know that. That uh, aspect of Betsy, I didn't know that she had gone through that. So, you've, yeah, you've, wait, she, how long ago did she go through that? Uh,
0: about the surgery was about three years ago.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, and she, that's her, the second cancer she survived. She's had a lot of health issues and she doesn't like me to talk about it, but she'll probably never hear this podcast. So,
2: okay. So, you're, uh, okay. We'll, sh- yeah. we'll keep it in the, low, in the download. Yeah, and don't anybody clear, listening don't to your hundred thousand listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, a hundred thousand wish. I, but for sure, if you listen to this and you know, Betsy, don't yeah. tell her, don't tell her. You know,
0: she, she knows this because I've written about mm-hmm. this before. So I, I wouldn't say it if she really told me not to, but, um, when we lead with the heart, it's not always about some, this magical, you know, fairy dust moment. Sometimes we lead with our heart in the most difficult of circumstances, um, wounded, soldiers will tell you, you know, that I was wounded pulling my buddy out of the burning tank and things. It's not always fairy dust, but Mm -hmm. it is always transformative. Yes. Right. When you leap from the heart, when you think with your heart.
2: And most of these times too, it's not times like this, but like you said, it was a very intimate moment. It was you and Betsy, something that no one would have seen. Somebody else could think that It was some other grand gesture, and that act of kindness right there and selflessness could be marked as like your biggest thing in the eyes of our creator, you know, because it was a simple, it was simple, quote-unquote, not really, but act in which only two people were involved and no one else witnessed it but the two of you. And it can be sometimes one of those things that, that we really realize that we're doing it truly for the act of service and not it's for that recognition.
0: It's from the heart.
2: Yes, from the heart. Yes. So that's sure. why
0: that's the second question. Ooh, it, it, it is sort of the first cousin to what do you regret? And mm-hmm. it's you didn't do the times you didn't privilege your heart over your brain
2: yes no it's wonderful now we go on do you want us to go over? i don't want people to think that because they're listening well i don't i want them to make sure to like go through the book because then in the book you'll be able to go of course it takes some time to go in and read each one analyze and then write which by the way my question actually before we continue what would be the best way of someone sitting out down and doing this would you say writing on a notebook writing in a word document uh, wh- what are some of the ways your your um, the people that have done this do, have done it
0: i I think the best way really is for it to be a word doc or a Google doc so that you can keep so it can be a, a kind of ongoing art
2: editable project. and yeah. edit edited as you need yeah. it yeah
0: and okay. and um, you know in January there'll be a workbook coming out that will oh. literally hold your hand as you go through the process to help you.
2: Work. So next year. So right now, June 7th is the launch of the book and January of 2023, the workbook. Okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. So we'll be alongside this. Okay. So let's go then with the, what makes you happy? Like, we're, wow. we're and what, and what. What surprised, I'm just curious, what surprised you the most of some of these answers that people would tell you? What
0: surprised me about what makes you happy? And of course, surprised, it's so obvious when you actually stop to think about it, but we don't stop to think about it, which is (laughs) the point of the book is stop and think about it. Um, You know, there's a saying that they teach you in the military and in emergency room medicine, which is, don't just do something, stand there. Right, observe.
2: Don't, don't just do something, stand. It's so funny because it's like, wait, don't just. Isn't it the other way around? Don't just stand yeah. there, do something. Right, but Here it's the other way around. Exactly.
0: <laughs> don't just do something, stand there. And this book is like, just think about these things for a minute, okay? Right. It'll change your life anyway. <clears throat> for what makes you happy. And now I wish I had asked the question, "What brings you joy?" Because they're not mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. The things that really make people happy as they define it are not the transitory things like uh, ice cream. Nobody said ice cream makes me happy or, you know, you know, I don't know, going to a baseball game. What you find is that what really brings people happiness and joy are things that involve two distinct ingredients. One, sacrifice. Mm. You know, we tend to think of sacrifice as a net loss. You know, she made so many difficult sacrifices. Mm -hmm. He made the ultimate sacrifice, right? We tend to think of sacrifice as a net loss. But, and here's where the rabbi in me was instructive. The Hebrew word for sacrifice, korban, comes from the same word as the verb to draw near or be close. That's how our ancestors got close to God. They made sacrifices. It's the same root for the Hebrew word for relatives, your family. It's the same root for the word to gather together. So one of the key ingredients in, in joy is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Joy, real joy, is the fruit of a very slow growing tree. Why are you? Let's let me ask you this, okay? Let's let's do let's do it for you.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: So, imagine yourself at the wedding of a friend's child. How do you feel?
2: Ah, uh, gosh, I always cry. I'm a crier. I'm emotional. I, I always go into feeling the emotions that everybody else is feeling because it, okay. it's, nice, right? yeah, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it's empath. It's like that. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. And then, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then like around ten o'clock, when your feet hurt and the food's not great. What are you thinking? It's like when can we leave? <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. I I, I got it. I want to go home. It's cold. <laughs> Whatever it is. The music's too loud, you know? Now, imagine yourself at your daughter's wedding. Does it feel the same as imagining yourself mm. at the daughter of your friend?
2: No. None. No, 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 no. I, yeah. why?
0: It's a different level of joy because mm-hmm. you have made the sacrifices of parenthood. Mm-hmm. The worry, the anxiety, the physical exhaustion, the fun, the you know, the the tantrums, the car accidents, the you know, smoking weed in high school, whatever we get these kids through. Mm-hmm. It's a because of the sacrifices you have made you are You are going to experience real joy. I'll, let's do this another way. What are the two most important things to you in your whole life?
2: My family and, and, my, and for myself and my relationship, for myself, my relationship with my creation, with myself, with myself when, yeah, that, that would be for me.
0: What are the two things you have sacrificed the most for in your life?
2: Yeah, well, my kids and my, yeah, with my family. And those
0: are the things that matter the most. So sacrifice is actually a gain, not a net loss. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I found about joy when people answered. It was almost always the fruit of this very slow growing tree we call sacrifice. The Mm -hmm. second ingredient is it's not something people experienced alone. Real joy is communal. Mm. You can be sort of happy on your own like i like to hike i'm happy hiking you know because not being bothered but real joy is a is a shared experience it's communal
2: interesting yeah Yeah. i I would have not thought that uh, because sometimes like when i'm like walking the dogs or i see a sunset or something like that i feel this sense of joy you're content but yeah and yeah true okay you're at peace Mm.
0: But it's not the same as dancing at your daughter's wedding. Okay. It's not the same as looking around the table at your family. It's not the same as being at a in a stadium with fifty thousand people when they win the championship. It's not the same.
1: Mm-hmm. So okay. there's a
0: there's a level of joy that cannot be had alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So those are the two things that were most interesting to me about joy and happiness
2: sacrifice and that it's communal. And communal those that is communal yeah those that well i just learned something big there with that, those two i would have not thought e- both of those and now i think of it differently now that then it's like then you counterbalance then from there with biggest failure so it's it's all this dance here of these questions it's like here let's give you something to be joyful about okay now let's think about regret let's think about failure so that was the next one (laughs) let's balance it out so then it's failure uh and then from there goes into the greatest challenge right no What got you through the biggest challenge which also got that goes well right after failure yeah
0: of course, right. So mm-hmm. you're seeing the um, yes. the sort of deeper structure to it, which is what I would hope for,
2: you know. It's like sandwich it. Let's sandwich it together. Like a- it's layered. It's layered. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And isn't life a layered experience? It is. Right? So, you know, your greatest failure, one of the things uh, that I think we all realize when we think about it is that success doesn't teach us anything. You don't learn anything from success except to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Failure is the great teacher. Yes. So in a way, actually, someone who participated in this book, who was, who was at the time the mayor of a major American city, he said, I don't think there is such a thing as failure because a failure, as most people define it, is actually your most important lesson and insight.
1: Mhm.
2: Feedback.
0: It's not a failure if you make something of it. If you redirect, right? Um and I like to say, you know, to people all the time who come to me and they can't get over some failure, I say to them, I I personally have given up all hope of a better past.
1: Mm.
0: I have given up all hope of a better past. Right? So, let's take this failure and let's talk about the future. Yes. And I think, in terms of leaving leaving a legacy, like when you write this for your children, you should share with them. Look, this was a this was a my biggest failure in life, and here's what I learned from it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is my gift to you.
2: Yes. And it's such a, you know, with the failure, I I saw Sarah Blakely, one of the founders of she she said her dad would always say, what did you fail in today? You know, she's one of the biggest entrepreneurs, you know, lately, young entrepreneurs. And that was exactly, her dad would celebrate the failures. And as a parent, I think that that is something huge too. It's like, let's celebrate these things because that means we actually tried.
0: Right. And who are the real leaders in the world in every field? They're the people who were not afraid to fail. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: They played to win. They didn't play not to lose. Yes. I I find the most frustrating people in my life, from a leadership standpoint, are the people who play not to lose. They don't play to win.
2: Because that's playing it safe. Yeah, it's safe. You kind of don't really give it your all.
0: I have no interest
2: Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. that you
0: have to be willing to fail yes big big fail
2: (laughs) colossal failure yes
0: and 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 what a gift to your children and Mm. and it's something about which many parents are not honest you know how often does a parent really share with a child my biggest failure was my divorce Mm. i failed in my marriage and here's why and here's what I learned from it and here's what I hope you learn from my failed marriage hmm. those are really powerful insights for
2: our yes. lives absolutely yeah. yeah and again like you said again a real reevaluation for ourselves too as we're thinking of that now but yeah. and then we can sell and then we can celebrate too with what we were able to achieve, the fact that we have something that we failed at that <laughs> we're still here if,
0: and or oh my goodness, that was my biggest failure, and I'm doing it again
2: Oho what am I doing Yes i'm why I'm- am I repeating? Why am I repeating something I'm back at the bar
1: mm. i'm I'm back cheating mm. what am I doing mm mm-hmm. Because yeah, some of the people that you
2: interviewed were a- addicts too, right? Some of the ones yeah. that shared their their failures, their their challenges were yes. addiction. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, and, okay. and, and for many people, their biggest regret, and this is under that umbrella of things they didn't do, is that they didn't get help sooner.
2: What do you think makes us as human beings of not seeking for help? Is it our is it our, um, not the ego, our pride? What What is it that we as human beings feel that don't?
0: I think that we all go through a process of um, fooling ourselves while fooling others. You know, we tend to believe our own act. Hmm. And I also, you know, one of my favorite sayings is by the Canadian philosopher, Marshall McLuhan, who said, I don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't the fish.
2: <laughs> <They're in it. laughs>
0: exactly. You know, ironically, a fish is born in water, lives in water and dies in water. And therefore, the fish doesn't even know it's in water. Well, that's us. Right. That's us. All of us in some way. When does a fish discover water?
2: when it doesn't have it
0: (laughs) right 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 when it's ripped out of the water wriggling at the end of a hook and gasping for air Mm -hmm. that's when a fish discovers water Mm -hmm. so it's that gray spot on the mri Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that rips us out of the water it's disruptive pain is disruptive death is disruptive Loss is disruptive. Failure is disruptive. Embarrassment is disruptive. And it's then when we can realize how misaligned our behavior is with who, with our real truth. Mm. And and it takes something disruptive. So I think that the short answer to your question is: we're good at fooling ourselves. We're good at fooling others. And we need to be jerked out of the water sometimes for us to really look at ourselves.
2: Yes, no, it's, uh, It's yeah, those aha kind of moments, as I say, in big uh, learning experiences is when we've gone through something so hard. They're teach Back again to like a lot of these things are just teachers, right? They're just teachers in life. Pain is a teacher, death as a teacher.
0: Mm-hmm. The only teachers.
2: Yes, uh, the, the teachers. teachers. Yeah, we don't learn when everything's just nice and dandy. By the way, <laughs> we don't grow. Cool. We don't
0: grow. You know, again, for your listeners who are um, religiously inclined, every family in the Bible is dysfunctional. Cain kills Abel. Eve deceives Adam. Abraham
1: has
2: to sacrifice. To sacrifice it's one, it's on. kid, mm-hmm. throws
0: the other kid out into the desert. You know, with the maid, uh, and and you know. Jacob and deceives his father and rips his brother off. Joseph's brothers throw him into a pit and mm. leave, leave him for dead. You know, why? Why? Clearly, we could have been given perfect families and perfect characters. But you know why we didn't? We didn't receive that? Because there's nothing to learn from perfect. Mm-hmm. Nothing. So, it's the dysfunction, that's why half of these questions are about the dysfunction because that's that's where the life lessons are for ourselves and for our loved ones when we're gone that's where yes. they are.
2: wow, yeah, it's in the it's in the in that in that struggle um okay, so then from there we move on to the greatest challenge, and then after that, this one this one is uh this one I caught me I've got the what is a good person oh yes that that one is like, ah, yeah, like what is 'Cause it's yeah, not like all, who is somebody that you know that's good or but yeah. it's the definition of what is a good person. So how do we
0: how do we really live that value? Because if you ask people what's your goal in life, that almost everyone says, I just want to be a good person. I want to be a good person. I well, what is
2: and then it's like, okay, so what is that good? What is right. a good person? Right. <laughs> Let's how, define it.
0: <laughs> and by the way, there is no single definition.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's kind of like um I mean, this is sort of a weird negative example, but it, it will make sense. Uh, when, when Justice Potter Stewart was asked by the Supreme Court to define obscenity in a pornography case, he said, I can't define it, but I know when I see it. Mm. And I think this is also true of what it means to be a good person. We can't define it, but we know when we see it. We know when we evidence it. We know when we experience it. We know when we feel it. Mm-hmm and it's not the same for all of us so it's also helpful to kind of think about what is what is not a good person a good person is not a gossip a good person is not unsacrificing a good person is not unkind a good person has nothing to do with net worth mm. you know a judge can be a jerk and a janitor can be a saint it so it's also in this chapter you start to see well you can define something in some ways by what it is not almost like a beautiful marble sculpture is created by taking away and then it reveals the beauty that was always in there mm. so
2: we need it's to. it's like light that. and darkness it's yeah. like sometimes that yeah one is defined by we the absence a of the other a mm-hmm. strip
0: of film what is a negative really it's showing you what isn't there the negative space and therefore revealing what is.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You can't talk to kids about this, by the way, because none of them have ever seen a piece of film. in their life.
2: <laughs> They're like, what is a negative?
0: They don't know. They literally do don't
2: know. You put it like uh, this. You can yeah. put it in a little thing like this. Look through it. Yeah. yeah.
0: They have no idea. <laughs> so the statue, this older metaphor is actually much better because they've all seen a statue, and they know it started as just a big block of marble.
2: I would. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so being a good person is as much about what you don't do As what you do, you know, there are again, um, you know, for people who are religious, there are positive commandments and negative commandments. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're both important to being good, to being a good person. Um, And so everyone, everyone answers this in their own way. The important thing is for you to answer it for you and then ask yourself, am I actually behaving like a good person? Am I being a good person? You know, am I telling my children to be nice to each other? And I haven't spoken to my sister in three years. Am I telling my children a good person is honest, but I sneak them into the movie for the 12 and under price when yes. they're 14? Right. Yes. Am I telling my children, you know, respect your bodies and I'm vaping and, and you know, putting vodka in my water bottle? You know, what am I just talking about being a good person? Am I evidencing that? Am I, you know, so this is really an internal conversation that the book invites you to have with yourself.
1: Mm.
2: And then- that, my- is, that is, that is a big one. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump, as you were talking about that, there was um, the other one that came up. What have you, um, oh my, there was one that, when you said about the good person, okay, well, then it's afterwards is what is love? Yeah. But, um, yeah. and right after the good person, do you think that love, what, okay, what is love? Hmm. What is love to you?
0: It's again, Rabbi? one of those things, like you can't define <laughs> it, you know what so
2: you're,
0: get, but I'll tell you what it is to me. To me, love, real love, is privileging another person's, joy, and well-being above your own. It's again related to sacrifice.
2: What you did for Betsy was love. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. And, you know, a way to think about it is, let's talk about in the context of a marriage, for example. If you give 60-40, if both parties give sixty percent and expect forty percent back, if both do that, if both going in expect to give more than they mm. receive, both parties, that's love. Mm. That's love.
1: Mm.
0: And and I and there's a lot. It it is related. These these are layers. You're you're very astute about the kind of dynamic
1: I and flow of mm-hmm. the
0: book. It is layered. You start talking about thinking with your heart, not your head. You start talking about what, you know, um, what does it mean to be good? What makes us happy? Well, other people and, 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 and commitment and sacrifice and what is love. And it all starts to fit together into how to live a, a, a,
2: a, a beautiful, better life.
0: beautiful life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And So f- you will you'll you've read i mean you know the answers for most people love involves a degree of selflessness yes because what happens when we're selfless right the the first law of biology is self-preservation the first law of the spirit is generosity and when you privilege generosity over
2: self-preservation,
0: self-preservation
2: mm-hmm. that,
0: what does that really mean? What that really means is that you are getting outside of yourself and realizing that that other human being and I, we are one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We are one. And to me, that's, that's love.
1: Mm, mm.
2: I love it, and that right there—that back again to how you sign with you know with love, you know yeah. love—and it, it's true. It is realizing I can love truly once we understand that we are one. Saying to another being, "I love you," really is genuine. It's not just hearsay. It's because we can we really comprehend the reality. Of, of our, our lives one. and of, of our oneness and our one and that is really what what makes it be so and that's
0: true. a least spiritual idea and it is the antithesis of evil the root of all evil is the objectification of the other you are you are other you are not mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. well that's the cause right now of all the problems right now is thinking it's, of ourselves as otherness
0: in my opinion the othering of of people, the objectification of other human beings is the root of all
2: mm-hmm.
0: human all human
2: evil, mm-hmm.
0: and so love is the antidote.
2: Yes, absolutely. I get chills. I get chills and emotional, especially all the things that happen. And that I just wish we all just had more of that realization. <laughs> so that yeah. would be that would be the the true we do, paradise you know, on earth.
0: Right, and what can we do? You know, I'm asked this often, like, okay, that's great, but what am I? what can I do about the war in Ukraine and the objectification? And I always revert to this Buddhist saying that I love, which is tend the part of the garden you can reach. Raise raise decent, loving, humane
2: exactly. human beings in your, in your control. Do what's in your control. Sometimes we get paralyzed by this idea of like when we, when we see this and I tell this to my dad when like watching the news, I'm like, okay, yes, you can watch the news. But when you become submerged in it and then that stops us from doing action, be, in action within our circles, within our family life, within our units, that's, that's where we have to focus our energy. What is in my control? What can I change?
0: We have to use our unique gifts. We all have them. Like yes. I can Look, it's very difficult to write a book. It's There's nothing fun about writing a book. There's not one fun thing about writing a book. It's fun to sell it. It's fun to promote it. But re- there is not a single fun thing about writing a book. But I can do it. And that's a part of the garden I contend. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I do.
2: Yes. It's your responsibility. That's the part of the... Of the not regret not having regrets. I think regrets is when we've known we've had these gifts and we have not used them. That's right. that, that I that for me is my biggest regret. It's like if I were to have known that these were my potentials and I did did not live to that potential.
0: That's the omission. Right? It's yeah. the sin of omission.
2: Yeah. That for me is like the biggest So
0: one. <laughs> that's love love is is, is really living the oneness, as opposed to the biological imperative of self-preservation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. No, Well, because, the, the, but then as you were saying there, in the self-preservation of the biological part, if we do acknowledge the oneness, then that duality is there. Because again, you want to make sure that the other person survives and perseveres.
0: Yes, but it, 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 there is a tension in all of us.
1: True. Yeah.
0: Why why do I sometimes give the homeless woman who wants to wash my windshield at the gas station $20 mm. and other times I look away? Because I'm at war within myself. You know, good and evil is not an us and them. It's an us and us. It's mm. me and me. I and I. Good and evil is a line that runs down the middle of each of us. And every day, in, in thousands of tiny ways, we have to decide which side of that line we're on. Mm. And we cannot, and no human being can always be on the side of the good.
2: Yes. It's yes. just
0: a fact, okay? There's a tension within us. And but the more we can resolve that tension, the more we can. Um, use that urge for self-preservation and selfishness and withholding, the more we can use that as the mirror to remind us that we can rise above that, then it's a very powerful and positive engine in life.
2: Yes. No, it is. It is. It's a. It's the fuel. Yeah, it's a fuel. It's the fuel that keeps the engine going when we have that. Okay. So as we're going, cause I'm going to skip through some of these yeah, because I want people. But this part, I had to learn. Lear, had to look up at the definition and the pronunciation of epitaph. Ep, 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 epitaph. 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 So tell us the difference between epitaph and epitaph and eulogy and okay. and all For
0: those. Eulogy, a eulogy is really the telling of the the story and the truths of a person's life. An epitaph is is a short summation okay. of a person's life. So the way to think about it is what do you, what will your headstone say? Now, here's a very instructive exercise, okay? And I think COVID has helped all of us with this. COVID has stripped away a lot of bullshit from pe- from our lives. A lot. In a good way. I don't go out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with people I don't want to be with anymore. Uh, I don't wear uncomfortable clothes anymore. Uh, you know, I don't pretend this isn't my house you're looking at right now. I, I, I think COVID stripped away a lot of bullshit in mm-hmm. a good way. By the way, was it worth a million deaths in this country? No, no. no. I'd rather have the nonsense back and have those people alive, but we don't get to choose that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So an epitaph, when I walk through a cemetery, I'm always amazed by something. And I, I spend a lot of time in cemeteries. We're all unique individuals. We all lead unique lives. But when you walk through a cemetery, there's almost complete unanimity of inscriptions, of epitaphs on headstones. They almost all say the same thing. What do they say? Loving wife, mother, grandmother, sister, friend. I mean, there are some that are funny and outliers, but (laughs) almost all of them say the same thing. They almost all, because when you have 15 characters per line and four lines total, You have to strip out all the bullshit, right? What is Mm -hmm. not there? What is not there? Your net worth's not there. Mm -hmm. Your zip code's not there. Your kid's GPA isn't there. Where your grandchildren went to college (laughs) isn't there, right? Your weight isn't there, right? It's despite the fact you spent your whole life trying to be under whatever. (laughs) Um, You know, none of it is there. Your paperweight collection, as per our earlier conversation in the podcast, it isn't there either. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to a tiny handful, and none of us have more than a tiny handful of human relationships. Mm -hmm. That's it. Now, when you ask yourself this question, what do I want my headstone to say? What do I want my epitaph to be? You are also simultaneously asking yourself, is it going to be the truth? Am I living that way? If what I want my headstone to say is that I was a loving husband, father, grandfather, and friend, then I get to ask myself, is that how I'm living? If I want my headstone to say, he helped and comforted many, is that how I'm living? Mm So, again, these are the kinds of questions that hold our lives up to the light.
2: It's, it's a beautiful it's, gift it's, because it's, it's, that we're yeah. giving ourselves. Can you hear an echo on your end of me? And, okay, okay. I'm hearing an echo. Of my so, chair. let me ask you. What will mine say? No!
0: What, not what will it say, necessarily. What do you want it to say, Kendra? What do you want on your headstone?
2: For me, I... Would want it to be that I made people smile or felt people be seen. I I want from my for me connecting with others is my thing, and so for someone to like be it. seen, I would like people to feel she felt she helped. Yeah, I don't, yeah, she saw or she made saw. people be be seen. She, yeah, she saw she or saw, saw. She, <laughs> saw yeah, that, she saw. Yeah,
1: that that would
2: be. That's what that's you want. What to say. Yes, that's what I want. I want. I want you people to saw. know they were seen, they were felt, they were heard. We mattered. That's my yes. That's I want people to feel they matter. So yours might say,
0: better. your message might
2: be, you
0: matter. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, the last question of the book is, what would you like your final blessing to be? If you could get up at your own funeral and say something. That would be the same thing for me. Exactly. You would stand up there and you would look at your your family, your husband, your children, their spouses, your grandchildren, and your friends and family there. And you would get up there and you would look out at them and you would say, I want Mm -hmm. you to know you matter.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You matter to me.
2: And you matter still. Yes. Oh, perfect. You already wrote we already wrote the last two for me. Now, <laughs> now well, I have but, to get writing the other ten.
0: But let's look at what happened. When I first asked you, hmm. what would you like yours to say? You freaked out. Oh no, 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 I don't know. No, I can't ah. <laughs> right? But but when you took no more than 15 seconds to actually think about it, something beautiful emerged. Hmm. And and this has been my experience with ethical wills. People freak out about these questions, but then when they when they really focus for even just a few seconds, they know the answers.
2: And just go here. We just yes. got to go to our ha- heart, and then it just the answer comes. When we're at the, in our head, then it does get hard. And when we're also trying to say the right thing, mm-hmm. it also gets <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs>
0: messy true. because now, that's part of the Kabuki
2: Uh uh-huh there you go that's the part of the theatrics of it let let me ask you this and then we'll uh start wrapping up the what was do you think the hardest as you were interviewing people and asking them these questions what was the one that you thought people struggled with answering the most or even for yourself when you were writing it which one was one that they struggled with the most
0: The one, the one that asks, uh, "Did you ever have to
2: cut someone off,
0: cut someone out of your life Mm -hmm. because your relationship with them was toxic?" Mm
1: -hmm.
0: This was this was very difficult Mm
1: -hmm. and painful for people,
0: and Mm -hmm. frankly, some people wouldn't even answer it. Mm. It had the fewest responses, and not Mm. because it isn't a common denominator to life; it's because people don't want to talk about it. Mm. But there is so much to learn in standing up for yourself. You know, we were talking about oneness being privileged over self preservation, but there are points in life where self preservation is so essential. And where you are in a relationship with someone, by the way, it's not necessarily an intimate relationship, it could be a business partner, it can be a coach, it can be um, you know, a friend and the relationship is so toxic, so malignant that you, you'll literally lose yourself and your self-respect and dignity if you don't put an end to it. Mm -hmm. And this question came out of a reaction to the previous book, The Beauty of What Remains, where I wrote one little paragraph that I thought would help a handful of readers. And it turned out to help. I mean, I got literally thousands of people reaching out to me about this. So what was this little paragraph? I said in this little paragraph that people often come to me and say things like, Steve, my, I haven't talked to my mother in 10 years. I text her on her birthday every year. But she's so narcissistic. She's so withholding. She's so cold. Every time my whole life. I was ever with her, I felt bad about myself, and 10 years ago, I just decided I can't have anything to do with her because she just makes me feel horrible about myself. But she's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and she's got three to six months, and I'm thinking about going back to see her in New Jersey because when she dies, I don't wanna feel guilty. To which I say to people, you won't, you'll be relieved. Hmm. And they look at me like, wow, that's true, but I feel so ashamed of that. It, that. Doesn't that make me a bad person? I said, no, it makes you a human being. You'll be relieved when she's dead. Hmm. And by the way, if you go try, it's not going to work because dying doesn't give anyone a new personality.
2: Yeah, that that part I remember from your book. Of that, it it's a lot of times people try to mend that relationship right before, and it's like, what is what has changed? What has changed? Yeah. yeah, what has changed in that individual to make it be different now? Nothing. Right. Exactly. People
0: people mm-hmm. die the way they live. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people that will be on their best behavior for an hour at a funeral, but that's it. Mm-hmm. And and so this. You know question of toxicity in a relationship and ending a relationship is a powerful lesson for your loved ones when you're gone about standing up for themselves and not being a doormat and 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 i think by the way particularly important for mothers and daughters who's going to do that if not your mother Hmm. you know i say this sometimes to women who come to see me about getting divorced and they're afraid of how it will affect their children, but they know the marriage is toxic. I said, "Well, how are you ever going to talk to your daughter about integrity in a marriage if, if you're you not stay? If you stay in this, yeah, she'll know yeah. you're lying."
2: It's. I always say that with that when I'm talking to friends that are in those kind of situations. It's like, well, would you want your daughter to be living in that type of a relationship when they're right. older? Like, and if so the answer is no, yeah,
1: yeah, then.
2: And yeah. you have to walk out of there because yep. that's not what you want to teach. No, these are just so profound. And the fact is that, I mean, you wrote a book about it just from you analyzing your own life and writing this and then answering these questions. It, it is this, this, this exercise, <laughs> these, this, this exercise is that is the possibility of somebody really even writing their own life story and book, uh, so thank you, because you not only gave us the script for what we're going to leave to our loved ones, you gave us the the best personal growth and development questions as well, yeah. and you gave us this possibility of writing a book with these questions. So you can,
0: you, you can write your story, the you truth of your story,
2: story yes, the truth. So- so beautiful. So yeah. now how are people going to be able to find this book again? June okay. 7th, so it launches.
0: launches. It launches on June 7th. You can pre-order it on Amazon and get it the day it launches, or you can obviously order it anytime on or after June 7th. It's on Amazon. It'll be in your uh, local bookstore and uh, the audiobook will be out. I just recorded the audiobook two weeks ago. Uh, and also, you can follow me on Instagram at Steve underscore leader I'm a I'm a big uh, Instagram fan I love Instagram <laughs> uh, I didn't really understand it until I got on it you know as from the other
2: book yeah, yeah your it, other book yeah I,
0: I love it it's like a
2: you know and you're good and you're good at sharing stories and I love when you share you know when you've been on the Today show or you've had the conversation with somebody else you know all yeah, these different I, conversations I really that think- you've had. Amazing. Instagram
0: is just amazing to me. I'm like the last person to a party, but it's great. I'm glad I'm there.
2: You're the uh, last one to leave then. You may be yeah, the last exactly. one to the party.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, there's this joke there's this joke that says, uh, the French leave and don't say goodbye, and Jews <laughs> say goodbye and they don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to stay.
2: <laughs> there we go. So you're staying at that party. Instagram okay. may be like Yesterday's news. some. The... standing
0: on Instagram. That's
2: right. <laughs> that's awesome. So then, and then again, the beauty of what remains was your first book, and now this one. So it's a great um, it's, it's a comp- marriage together. Yeah, they follow along. Yeah, perfect, because the beauty of what remains is a beautiful book and um, so much heart. I still, I still recommend that to so many. And I do have friends with parents with Alzheimer's, and I say this is a, a great book to to read wow. for someone that's going through that as well. So, so thank you so much.
0: You know, let me thank you because um, this was a very real and, and important conversation and they don't always turn out that way. You're very skilled and you lead from your heart. So I really, I really mean that. Um, I do a lot of these and this, this was special. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. it's always special to have you. And I can't wait for your third book, the, the handout, the In workbook. January,
0: the workbook <laughs> out January. Stay tuned.
2: Perfect. I'll have so tuned.
0: You
2: like okay. I will love Keep to you have out. you again. Thank you so much for taking the time to sharing and for all the lessons and the questions you asked me, making me think already of these of these big life questions. So thank oh, you once don't again. Bye-bye. thank you, Rabbi You're Steve Leader here with us. Thank you again. Bye bye.